Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravi and I'm joined by the lad who falls asleep listening to hot Deluke Genshin ASMR, Yanatan. You want to say hi, Yanni? Can I ask why you picked Deluke out of all of the possible Genshin waifus that I am obsessed with? Is there a reason for that? You didn't open that link I sent you, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. What is it? <laughs> Why don't you open it no. live on stream? <laughs> I refuse. I refuse to open your, I don't know, hentai that you sent me <laughs> live on the podcast. You might actually like falling asleep to it. Who knows? <laughs> All right. What's going on in the world of anime? I don't know if anything noteworthy came out recently. Nothing I can think of. I mean, Jujutsu Kaisen movie came out in Japan. I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast, but that's been bringing in a lot of revenue. And I think they announced that it's coming out in US theaters. Is it March? Was that right? Yeah, I think it's sometime in March. And that's was kind of shocking to me. Obviously, I'm excited about it, but it's a really fast turnaround from release in Japan to release in the States, which I'm all for. Hopefully, we get that more often and we get these very quick turnaround times for movies getting released so we can see them closer to when the general public in in japan can see them but the reviews have all been really good so i'm super stoked to see that there's also an announcement supposedly coming out for that i think in mid-february so hopefully pretty soon here that's just going to be a season two and not like some gotcha game or pachinko announcement like hopefully it's actually (laughs) a season two which we would all be excited about Speaking of gotcha games, I thought you were going to have to change your pants this morning (laughs) when you told me about the Genshin anime. Yeah, so there's been some speculation that there will eventually be a Genshin anime, which I think would make a lot of sense given how big it is and given how other gotcha games have anime adaptations. And even Mihoyo, the company that's in charge of Genshin, has like a slice of life series for Honkai. And there was a live stream today for the new update. And for the first time, they did like a very little 40 second short but it was animated in anime style and it looked really good. So I don't know if I even want a Genshin anime. I feel like I would want something more slice of life-y that isn't following the main story that we're already getting in the game. But as everybody knows, I like Genshin and I like anime. So Genshin plus anime is a win in my book. Yeah, absolutely true. So anything else? We live? So in today's episode, we'll be giving our first impressions of the winter 2022 anime seasons. We'll be bemoaning, well, Yanni will just be moaning, (laughs) the list of new titles coming out this season, reviewing the shows that we've been keeping up with so far, and talking about what we've most been looking forward to in this new year of anime. So let's get into it. All right, Yanni, if you had to listen to ASMR from any Genshin character, who would it be? Mm. Mm. I think I would just have to go with the waifus that I know and love. So it's got to be Hutao, Yula, Ayaka. Give me the VAs that I know and love. I need those voices. You know, I have to say, even though I would probably say those are some of the best waifus in the game, I think the guys would be great for ASMR. The guys would be great. Like a little Zhongli action. Yeah, can't say no yeah, to that. Just get a little little albedo right here, <laughs> you know. Let's move on to talk about the actual topic at hand, which is the current season of anime. We'll start how we usually do, which is just giving overall thoughts uh, and then delving into the shows that we're watching. If you want to follow along, we're going to be going through them in order that they're listed on the Mal seasonal chart. So 
you can look that up uh, if you're interested in the direction that we're heading. So I want to start with that first point. What are your thoughts on the current season overall? Honestly, besides the continuing shows, this season has kind of been a little dry for titles that I've been looking forward to, titles that I've actually heard of. When I was going to the first impressions episode, I started actually looking into and watching these episodes maybe a few weeks back. And what really struck me is I don't know a lot of the titles. A lot of the titles were kind of randomly distributed across the different genres. There are a number of fantasy isekais, which I think I'll get my own podcast at the end of this just talking about, but nothing has really stood out to me. I have to actually agree. It's a little bit weird because we mentioned this at the end of our year in review episode for 2021 about how stacked 2022 looks, how many good titles we're looking forward to, sequels, new adaptations, always the amount of originals that pop up. And I think we've had those conversations offline too. And many people in the anime community have echoed this. And I still feel that way. But just knowing that, I was kind of expecting, you know, the year to start off with a bang and winter to just be so good, especially given how good last winter was and feeling like this year was going to be a step up even from that. And then I actually started looking at what was airing and I was like, oh, Attack on Titan, Demon Slayer, I'm watching, I'm excited about. There's a few other things I'm excited about, which we'll talk about. But there's really not that much that is that good this season, which is weird because now I'm looking at the following seasons and I'm like, okay, all of the good stuff has to be like spring, summer, fall, right? <laughs> like it's got to come somewhere and it is. There's a lot of really good stuff that we're going to be talking about and covering as it comes out. But yeah, I'm just like not crazy about this season. It's always been the smaller titles, the more niche ones that I found to be the gems in the season. And I think that was really true in 2021. I mean, of course, everyone loved Attack on Titan. Everyone loved Jujutsu Kaisen, as we even saw at the nominations for the Crunchyroll Awards. But the smaller shows, the ones that we weren't expecting, Odd Taxi, Ranking of Kings, those are the ones that end up standing yeah. out to us. This season hasn't come through like that. I mean, again, we get continuations of those old shows. But maybe they'll be sprinkled throughout the rest of the seasons. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I totally agree that it does feel like I was waiting for that gem to sort of come out of nowhere. I mean, the same way that last winter we had those hard-hitting series that you mentioned, but we also had Wonder Egg. And even though that ended fucking terribly, that was a hidden gem that everybody could get excited about and discover together. And we don't really have that so far. Yeah, so where do we want to start off for this season? We always talk a little bit at the top of the show about the continuing series that we're not going to talk that much about because we covered them in the previous season. And for this season, the only one that really falls into that category is Osama Ranking or Ranking of Kings. We covered it in the fall 2021 First Impressions. We covered it a lot during our last episode, which was the year in review for 2021. We both fucking love that show. The Second core is just as good as the first, in my opinion. The opening, especially, I also mentioned last episode, but is one of the best openings in terms of animation and music combination I think I've ever seen in anime. I still love Ranking of Kings. I don't think there's that much more to say about that, given how much we've already talked about it, but I'm really enjoying it. I agree. I agree totally. There's still a lot left to sort out and loose ends to tie up, especially with Maranjo and King Boss. So let's see how those end up turning out. But yeah, the new opening absolutely slaps. That was great. You're not caught up, but we got a little bit of hint already about Maranjo connecting to some of Boji's backstory in like the episode that literally came out this week. So it's starting to come together. We're moving towards the end game. We're moving towards I the see. end game. All right. So now we're just going to go through the rest of the shows that are airing in order. And of course, that has us kick off with probably the biggest show, which is Attack on Titan, the final season, part two. 
I fucking hate all these split cores giving us season X part X <laughs> anime titles. <laughs> like, that's so fucking annoying. But you're not watching weekly, right? So you're caught up to Attack on Titan, but you're not watching weekly. Exactly. I am caught up to part one of season four, but I'm just going to dump part two into my brain as soon as it's over. I think that's fair enough to do with a show like Attack on Titan. And just so everyone knows, if you haven't been with us for our first impressions episode, these are always spoiler free for the current airing season. So we're not going to spoil anything that happens in Attack on Titan or any of the other shows. We may talk about details from previous seasons. So if you haven't watched Attack on Titan at all, please just do it <laughs> and then come back and listen to this. I don't have a ton to say because we're only a few episodes in and everybody sort of knows our thoughts on Attack on Titan and how much we generally like the world building and the storytelling. This season really picks up where the previous left off with Eren, you know, having this plan to try to make contact with Zeke and Reiner and the rest of Marley engaging in their attack on Paradis, trying to end this conflict of Titans once and for all and defeat Eren and Zeke and the plan that they have together. I had heard from many manga readers just, you know, reading online and talking to people that this, for a lot of them, is peak Attack on Titan in terms of storytelling, which when I heard that, you know, you always hear manga readers especially hype up stuff that is coming and a work that they really like. And I especially had a hard time believing this given how good I think season three part two is with the basement discovery and the expansion of the world and all the backstory and the lore that we get during that section, how everything sort of comes together from the previous three seasons. But I think through these first few episodes, I'm really starting to understand why people view this as at least on equal footing with that part. Just in this latest episode, which I'm not going to mention what it is or what happens, there have already been some holy fuck moments that maybe are not quite on the level of the basement, but that at least for me caused me to go read up on the lore and supernatural mechanisms in the world and how stuff functions. And that is one of my favorite things to do in fiction is to just get a bunch of information in an episode through plot and through dialogue and then have to go piece it together and think about how everything ties together and realize all these hints from earlier in the season or earlier in the franchise as a whole and how these things tie together. I love doing that. That was one of my favorite parts about watching Game of Thrones, or it's still one of the reasons why I like watching Attack on Titan weekly is because of everybody having these theories of how things are going to tie together. And so that has already started to happen in this season. And that's been really, really enjoyable. The adaptation itself continues to be super good. I mean, the CGI Titans look better than in the first part of the final season. That's probably just because MAPPA had a little bit more experience doing it, a little bit more time to prepare. I still don't love the CGI Titans. I know we've talked about this and you don't mind them as much as I do. For Attack on Titan, I'm totally willing to give it a pass, but I do think they look a little bit better than they did in the previous season. I guess it's an interesting question here to ask you. How does the manga readership's view of the ending of Attack on Titan, and just generally, how is that bias that they implement or integrate into your experience how does that change the way that you view the show because we've heard a lot about season four of attack on titan and the ending and it changes the way that i watch it i don't know if it does the same for you it's a very interesting experience because you know a lot of shows you might just get spoiled and then that obviously changes your experience in a very fundamental way if you're not surprised by a series that has twists and turns then a lot of the 
experience of watching that is not as novel or as exciting as it might be. I know some people don't mind spoilers, but majority of people probably do. I think this is an interesting case where I know sort of the general consensus of manga readers where they think that this current part being adapted is basically peak Attack on Titan writing, and then the ending is very mixed. But I don't know why anyone thinks that I haven't been spoiled in terms of the actual plot or what happens or the justifications and arguments for all of these points. So I'm still experiencing all of those twists and turns, but I'm definitely thinking about how my perspective of the show fits into the manga readership consensus or into the controversy and sort of thinking about how I'm going to analyze it once it all ends. So that definitely already is a little bit different of an experience if you're trying to place yourself within a broader perspective. What else did I want to say? I think that Attack on Titan, something that it has done that I've realized more in this part that really shocked me is that in early seasons of Attack on Titan, I would have said, I'm here for the action and Levi, etc. using ODM gear and slashing down Titans looks amazing. There's that specific scene in season three where Levi's cutting up the Beast Titan that everybody immediately thinks of as this insane Sakuga moment. And I still think back fondly to all of those moments of Attack on Titan, but actually I think now where Attack on Titan really shines is in the smaller conversational scenes that expand the world and the declaration of war moment in season four, part one, all of these lore drops and character drama or development moments are where I'm most enjoying the show. And I actually could care a little bit less about all of the action heavy scenes, which I think is strange for a show that is as action heavy as Attack on Titan. But that's sort of where I'm at with it now. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, the conversations have always intrigued me, not only in Attack on Titan, but just generally in most shows. Across media, my favorite aspects of the media are characters and character development and dialogue. That's why some of my favorite movies, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast, are 12 Angry Men or Old Boy or just very dialogue heavy, introspective shows. And I think the same is true for Attack on Titan. The moments where there's no action, the moments where the characters are revealing their backstories or revealing their motivations to each other are some of my favorite moments in this show. Yeah, definitely all the thematic exploration as well about humanity continuing to oppress each other and this cycle of oppression that people engage in depending on if they are in power or not i think is really interesting it's definitely what i'm drawn to now the most about the show in terms of all of that character development as well i have one other question for you regarding attack on titan so how would you personally feel about a movie to end the franchise there are some people that have speculated that that is potentially what's going to happen and where this is headed given just the amount of material from the manga that's left to adapt and the current pacing of this season that they're really taking it slow. And given that it's only going to be one core for the second half of season four, that they are going to reach a certain point where there is enough left to adapt for another one core season or potentially a movie. How would you personally feel about if that ended up being the breakdown? I mean, if you had asked me a year ago, I would have said, fuck that. <laughs> I think my opinion on anime movies has definitely changed a little bit, especially considering the number of really, really great animated movies that have come out last like year. Like Bell? And that, yeah, <laughs> just like Bell. The critics all agree <laughs> Bell is the best movie of the year. <laughs> Mamoru Hosoda, legendary. The critics may agree, but we do not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the hype around these movies is astounding. 
And I think that there is room for an Attack on Titan final movie. It could end up being an amazing production and tied up in a really, really great way. That being said, for MAPPA, this would be such a power play in terms of money. They would probably make so much money from this movie that I can totally see that happening. Am I more excited to see that than a finality in this show? Not really. I would love it to end as a show. But if it got a movie, I would still be really excited to see that. Yeah, I think similarly to you, I've kind of grown to be a little bit more open to anime movies as part of a series. Not that I prefer them, but that I understand that it makes a ton of money for the animation studio and the production and everybody else involved in the making of that series. So there is definitely this lucrative pull to do it. I hate if it were to be done just to be a cash grab, but if it has to be that way and you can get a good production done in that way and it sort of eventizes the screening because you actually have to go to a theater and watch it and i like watching things in theaters and if like i said at the top of the show if the turnaround time is going to start to be a little bit quicker from japan to the states that would definitely help because i think one of the worst things is to just know okay attack on titan's ending it's this huge event everybody in japan saw it it's going to be all over the internet and then i have to wait like six months to see it that actually sucks and it makes it hard to avoid spoilers but if it were to be like more of a global event i think i would would be definitely more okay with it, especially if the production value and all these things surrounding a movie could actually be used to make the end product better. So I'm definitely more open to it. I think like you, I don't prefer it, but it seems like the way the industry is trending a little bit. I mean, if it ended up being good, that would be a legendary movie. Yeah. All right. I think that's all I have to say about Attack on Titan. I am enjoying the newest season a lot. I'm excited to watch it every week. And yeah, if you're not caught up, go catch up and join the conversations that are happening on a weekly basis. Unless you're like Ravi and you just want to binge it at the end and then just fucking do that. Fuck the community, bro. <laughs> All right. So the next show we're going to talk about is the newest season of Demon Slayer, the entertainment district arc. In the fall 2021 episode, we covered Mugen Train and we actually did a spoiler discussion of that. So you can check that out there. And we talked about it because more people had a chance to see it as it was airing as a series in the lead up to this second season, I guess, third season. I don't know technically what it is, but you're not caught up on this either, right? No, sir. I'm going to do my Demon Slayer rant here. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> Pretty sure we've already heard this one no, before. I'm do it again. At it, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So really quickly, the premise of this specific season of Demon Slayer is that Tanjiro, Inosuke, and Zenitsu team up with the sound Hashira, whose name is Tengen Uzui, to find the demon who's lurking in the Yoshiwara Entertainment District, where he believes that a demon is hiding and terrorizing the women who work in the district and the civilians that are customers in this district. Customers of what? <laughs> you know exactly what their customers are. <laughs> that sounds like a cool concept, right? If you say so. Okay, well, to me, it sounds like a cool concept. <laughs> it does sound like a cool concept. I know you hate it, so that's why I'm going into this with such a cautious overtone. Hate is strong, but I think more than ever, what I've realized this season is that, holy fuck, the writing for Demon Slayer is fucking mediocre. <laughs> like, it is so mid-level writing, and the premise is one way to try to convey this point. I've said before that, the show is carried by Ufotable's adaptation and their animation quality. 
And I think that's on display here. This premise is interesting. At least I came into the season intrigued by this idea of Ahashira and our main characters going undercover, having to try to find where this demon is lurking. The entertainment district mainly comes to life at night. That's a perfect setting for a demon to really be able to take full advantage of blending in with society in order to wreak havoc on the population there. I mean, that I totally agree with. That element of it, I think, is really, really cool. I think the introduction of the Hashira in Demon Slayer was definitely one thing that saved a lot yeah. of the previous writing because it didn't really seem like it was going anywhere besides just a one-on-one confrontation between Tanjiro and fucking Mugen or whatever the hell is going <laughs> That's not Mugen. That's the name of the train. <laughs> Muzan. Muzan. Oh, Muzan. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> But the Hashira added such an, a cool element to it. And again, they provide a power ceiling to the world that we sorely needed because we have no idea what Tanjiro can do here. Now, having the Hashira in this mystery setting where we can explore the world at the same time as getting introduced to really cool characters and have an exciting mystery sounded like such a cool premise, but it really sounds like it hasn't been actually executed properly or carried through well. So I totally agree that the Hashira had a really cool dimension to Demon Slayer. And when season one was airing and they introduced all these Hashira with really cool character designs and really cool powers, it seemed like, and really unique personalities, I was like, okay, I am excited for the future direction of this franchise. And while I have qualms with the writing and a bunch of other stuff that I'll get into, the character designs and world building is really, really well done in Demon Slayer. That is definitely one of the strengths of the show. But going back to the premise, it sounds cool in theory. The problem is that it goes nowhere because immediately in the first few episodes, it is obviously given away who the demon is. Like rather than creating a compelling mystery, it seems like the mangaka just had no interest in doing this. They really just wanted to put the characters in the setting and then have them fight the demon. And that's ultimately the main downfall, I think, of Demon Slayer is that it doesn't really want to take risks and it sticks a little bit too closely to, okay, next battle, next Hashira, next battle. And that's really the formula that it wants to employ. And it's effective. It works for the genre that it is set in. I just want more because I see all the potential for what it could have done with the setup. I mean, Monster of the Week is a tried and tested trope, right? With Ufotable's adaptation elevating that, it's not hard to understand why Demon Slayer is so popular. I think if we're going into it looking for more than that, then sure, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I think my other big qualm with this season so far is that I've realized more and more that the handling of female characters in this show is pretty garbage to hear, <laughs> like to put it nicely. We have Daki, who in theory is this strong female demon who I'm not gonna give too much away about her, but ends up in a state where she just cries and incessantly whines when things aren't going her way. Why did they choose this characterization for her? I literally have no idea because she's such a cool character with such a cool design otherwise. Similarly, I am a big Nezuko fan, but I've always felt slightly uncomfortable with the fact that Nezuko is like this cute younger sister mascot that literally is like muzzled and carried around. But in this season, she's finally given some screen time, a role to play in a battle, but then she just 
goes berserk, has to be reined in by this tired development of Tanjiro having a flashback to his family and then like calming her down and her crying and getting stuffed back into the box so that the men can go handle the fighting. And I just want Nezuko to do more. I want her to have an actual <laughs> character. And there was some cool potential in this season. She showed some fucking badass abilities to actually play a role in the fighting. And it was always sold in the show as Tanjiro and Nezuko are a brother-sister human-demon duo going to fight demons, and yet she never is allowed to do anything. And here again, she does something cool, and then immediately she's like, nope, shove her back in the box. No development for you, no lines for you, no thoughts for you. Cry and get back in the box. And that really just continually rubs me the wrong way, and I wish they would give her a little bit more agency. I agree with that. We've talked about this before. I don't think there's that many strong female characters in Demon Slayer, maybe with the exception of the insect Hashira. But even then, we only really have a few moments of development for that character. It's kind of sad to see because Nezuko is one of the most interesting characters that we have as half-human, half-demon, or whatever her state is nowadays. And seeing her perspective on her family or seeing her perspective on the current situation would be nice. We just don't get any of that. Yeah, it's a real shame. Besides that, I think my qualms are pretty standard shonen things, random power-ups for the protagonist that come out of nowhere. As much as I loved first season episode 19, it was like, how did he learn to do the Hinokami Kagura out of nowhere? That doesn't make any fucking sense. Why does everyone know that now? <laughs> Why does everyone know what that's called? <laughs> this man says this fucking phrase one time and everyone's like, hey man, Hinokami Kagura. It's because in the next season, he fucking says it like all the time. <laughs> so. I see. Okay. I mean, you've also talked about how you sometimes find Tanjiro annoying, continuing to doubt himself every second of every episode. That is definitely a problem here. There's long exposition during battles. Standard shonen things that I wish would be a little better, but I don't think you can complain about too much in the genre. I do want to end sort of on the bright side because while I have specifically issues with female characterization and the writing not being great, I'm still enjoying it week to week. And I think that's mainly because the adaptation is animated brilliantly. Like some of the fight scenes are just insane. The level of quality that Ufotable can maintain on a weekly basis is really, really nice to watch. It makes me sometimes think of, wow, I wish every show, every action show at least had this level of animation because I'm sure so many other franchises would be maybe just as popular as Demon Slayer was. The other things that I am enjoying, the new Hashira Uzui is full of personality. My guy is just fucking out here as a ninja with three wives just being an absolute baller. (laughs) That's fucking great to watch. We're all for that. Wait, what? (laughs) The three female characters that are on like the promotional poster, those are his three wives. I thought they were just straight-up gender-bent fucking Tanjiro, Inosuke, no. and Zenitsu. Nah, he's married to all of them. <laughs> wow, that's some meta shit, bro. <laughs> Inosuke and Zenitsu have mostly been bearable this season, and that's also been one of my main issues with the show, especially in the first season. Zenitsu's been asleep, like, the entire fucking season because it's, like, mainly one continued battle. So he really hasn't said anything annoying, and I think that's just for the best. We should keep it that way. It's funny because Inosuke even comments on it at one point being like, damn, you're so much more useful when you're asleep. And I'm just like, yes, that is some great (laughs) meta commentary. That's how I feel. Oh man. So just to wrap up, it's been enjoyable. 
I don't think I am personally as into it as other people probably are, but I'm still fully invested in the hype moments. And for a shonen that knows what it wants to do and is animated to this level, it is doing it effectively. I just wish a few things were done a little bit better or with a little more care. I mean, again, I'm going to ask you this question. How much do you think your opinion is colored by the fact that people love this show? It's a little bit colored for sure. And I think my desire to keep up with it weekly is definitely because I like to talk about anime and I like to talk about anime that other people like and other people are keeping up with. That being said, I think I still can recognize all of the reasons people like it. And a lot of those are also true for me. I love the animation quality. I love the fight scenes. I think the world and the character designs are really cool. So there are certain things that I'm definitely invested in. It's just not my favorite on some other levels that other people probably don't think about too hard. And that's also fine. Sometimes you just want to enjoy your popcorn entertainment shonen without thinking about female character representation. And that's fine, I guess. Welcome to Isekai. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to one of the most well-known somehow shows this season, My Dress Up Darling. So besides the continuing shows that we just talked about, this show is definitely the one that I've heard the most about. And that's for one reason, and I think one reason only, Marin. Best girl. I have seen so much Marin fan art in the last three weeks that the show has been airing that it's insane. What's almost insane, at least to me, is that you actually seem to really like this show. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Really quickly, for people that have not watched My Dress Up Darling yet, the premise is that Wakana Gojo is a high school student who spends his free time making Hina dolls, which are these traditional Japanese dolls. And he learns this craft from his grandfather, who does this for a living. Due to the perceived weirdness of his hobby and obsession, he spends his high school days pretty much as a loner with no friends until he meets a girl named Marin Kitagawa. I'm going to call her Marin because... That's how I imagine uh, that that's you're pronounced. you're on a first name basis, baby. <laughs> that's how I imagine that that's pronounced. <laughs> so Marin is very trendy and popular and basically lives in a completely different world than Gojo. But she's also obsessed with cosplay. And one day they basically meet through plot in the room which has a sewing machine at their school. And she finds out that Gojo knows how to sew and therefore asks him to help with her obsession, which is cosplay. That's really the base of the show. So you ask me why I like it. And I think the reason that I like it is because it exemplifies for me that you don't need anything but a likable main duo who are full of personality and some interesting theme to center their relationship around for a good romance. And that's really what I think this series does well. Gojo is timid, but hardworking and clearly has some trauma that he has to work through about what he likes to do being perceived as feminine and being made fun of that as a child. Marin is super outgoing while being a huge fan of anime and manga. We'll talk more about how fucking relatable Marin is in a second. But you get this duo and they're very well-defined personalities you get cosplay as the central theme of the show that ties them together. And that's all you need. Everything else is nice and enjoyable with a lot of fan service, which we'll also talk about in a second. But I think what I like is that it's an easy watch. It's enjoyable because it's well set up. The writing is 
as good as it needs to be for the show. You don't need some stupid hook like Nagatoro bullying the shit out of the guy she's interested in. You don't need Horimiya, which sets up everything nicely and then rushes through all the slice of life stuff in the manga. You don't need all of these convoluted tropes to try to hook people into a romance. You really just need two good characters and a good theme and a decent production. And I think that's what we have. I'm still intrigued because I have to say, and this might come as a surprise to you, that I'm more ambivalent about this show than I thought I'd be. On one hand, kind of like you said, the narrative is everything that I live for in an etchy rom-com. It has a really cute female lead. She has an outgoing, enthusiastic personality. It makes her peak waifu material. The male lead here is not as dense as a fucking idiot, although I still do have problems with him. He's all dense. And I will come back to that. <laughs> And the show does focus on the two exploring a concept that I've rarely seen in anime, but that I do really like, which is cosplay. We talked quite a bit about cosplay in our episode with Lauren Orsini, so go check out that episode if you're interested. But I really do enjoy that otaku subculture. I think cosplaying is such a creative, artistic means of expression, and I love how it brings people together. So when I heard that we were going to have an etchy rom-com about cosplaying this season, I was fully into it. But the thing is, I don't think the show has really lived up to my expectations so far. And I don't know if we have different opinions on this because our standards were different. But there's three things I think that really prevented me from giving this show a glowing review. First, the animation. This is not the quality of animation that I expected from Cloverworks. I remember texting you images from the show as I was watching it. And we talked about the fact that they are slammed with other shows like Akabi, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, as well as next season's Spy Family. But the animation on average is just okay, and at points, it really does just get bad. The thing that really stood out to me is how often they end up switching to using CGI for the character models, and I just don't think it blended well with the 2D animation here. We talked offline also about how it differed from something like Attack on Titan, and I want to use that to contextualize the point. Because I said that Attack on Titan's character models, especially the Beast Titan, did not bother me at all. And the reason for that is because in that show, a lot of my focus was on the action, the larger intrigue, and the plot. But in a rom-com like this, especially in an etchy rom-com, the focus is on the characters, and you really want the viewer to feel caught up in the moment with the emotion and... Funnily enough, with the fan service, but when the models suddenly transition to CGI, at least for me, that snapped me out of the moment because the artistic style is suddenly changing, and that's often for the worse. I don't know what you thought about that. It's funny because I think I have the opposite take. Yeah. <laughs> Which is that I don't care that much about the art style here. Like <laughs> Cloverworks has made much better looking shows. We'll talk about Akabi a little bit later. And I think it's Akebi actually. Akebi looks really really good for a slice of life series and that's because the creative team that they assigned to it has a clear artistic direction and they were allowed the freedom to express that one direct priority looked fucking amazing last year for the same reasons here they really played it safe it felt like and just wanted to adapt the manga the source material in a fairly neutral way that i think could have broad appeal that a lot of people would get behind and they just made it look kind of standard and I think it looks fine and I didn't even really notice any of the CGI until you sent it to me and that's because for a show like this 
I don't really care what it looks like. <laughs> what? <laughs> Whereas for a show like Attack on Titan, while I totally think it's justified to use CGI in the way that they do, I hold Attack on Titan on every level to such a high standard that I want it to be perfect. I want everything in the adaptation to be as good as it can be. And I feel like the CGI Titans let it down a little bit in some respects, even though, again, I think it's totally justified and reasonable that they would use it in that way. And I'm willing to overlook it because have how good everything else is here. I'm just not in it for it being that good. I'm in it because Marin's hot. (laughs) Well, that's the problem. That is intrinsically the problem. Marin's hot and I want to fucking look at the character. But when the character transitions to having fucking jiggly 3D boobs, I'm snapped out of it, bro. You can't build a fucking physics engine for this girl's boobs. So did you think when we started an anime podcast, we'd be discussing if you could build a physics engine for anime titties? (laughs) It was bound to come up at some point. It might as well be here. (laughs) But in honesty, what am I watching this show for? It's not the plot. The, The cosplay is great, and I love that. It's for the characters and the character development and the romance. And when the characters don't look good... It's hard to watch it and hard to enjoy it for me. I said I had three points. The other two, I guess, are less destructive for the show (laughs) for me. But the second thing is the tropiness. And I don't mind tropes in anime. And I think you know that considering the majority of the shit that I watch is just bad isekai. But there's a limit to that. And my dress up darling is sometimes towing that line. The way that Marin literally flies into the scene just as Gojo is debating whether it would be better if he didn't exist in this world. The way that she's able to forego the social hierarchy and become friends with the outcast because she doesn't care what people think of her. All of these are tried and tested devices that made me question, what is this show really bringing to the anime scene? Is it bringing anything new to the table besides that cosplay narrative? I don't know. I don't have a good answer to that. Of course, the romance and the rom-com is fun, but I like watching things sometimes, especially for a show with this level of popularity that it's gaining. It doesn't really feel like it's novel or interesting in any way besides cosplay. I actually agree with that. I just think I don't care that much. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I think this show breaks the table? Marin. That's what I think it breaks the table. This is waifu bait. I am being baited and it is working. <laughs> Oh, man, we got to get you into more isekai. Just get you into the straight waifu bait. I do agree that there is a lot of fan service here and a lot of tropiness here. And some of that for me is off-putting because that is not my favorite thing. There are just many shots of Martin getting dressed that are definitely moving towards etchy fan service. I wouldn't say I mind them, but they're also not my favorite, to be honest. And there are a few episodes that take this really far, like episode two, where she like goes to his house and is having him measure her. That was just a situation contrived solely to show off her body (laughs) for no other reason. Let me talk about this scene. (laughs) Talking about this scene is part of my third point here. (laughs) So the third issue I had with the show is Gojo. I was going to talk about this too, so go ahead. Okay, I fucking really liked Gojo at the start of the show. Like what you said, he has a passion that he's willing to pursue no matter what people think of him, even if that passion is socially feminine. I really, really respected that. I love characters like that in media, and he's also not the classical idiot protagonist who can't read the room, although he still does that sometimes. But some of Gojo's interactions with Marin make me honestly want to fucking shoot myself. (laughs) So in episode two, that scene that you were mentioning, 
Marin comes to get her measurements done. First of all, that's a fucking hot scene. Okay, let's just be honest about it. That's a hot scene. I agree. I had to close my door for that scene, okay? <laughs> so, Gojo at the beginning is understandably embarrassed about the situation. But after seeing Marin's dedication to her passion, he realizes that he's not respecting her dedication nor his own professionalism to his craft. And I was like, yeah, this is great and hot. (laughs) But in the next second, he literally just falls back into the same shell that he had just broken out of. And you're like, where did this energy and this commitment to your craft that you had just displayed two seconds ago go? It's so frustrating. I agree that that scene also was hot, but bothered me for the same reason that you are outlining here. It was just a lot of Gojo talking to himself about how, oh, it's improper that I am looking at her this way. And he doesn't say he's turned on, but he's like getting turned on and then being like, oh, I can't look at her like this. And it's like, bro, just fucking measure her, please. It's not that big of a deal. And that did really bother me as well. I agree. What is this sudden moment when he goes to do the inseam that she suddenly gets embarrassed? Bro, You have been fucking 99% naked in this entire scene, asking him to measure the width between your nipples. And suddenly when he tries to measure your fucking inseam, you're like, oh, shit, what's going on? Are you serious? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, this is obviously a first impression. I think we're obviously going to both continue watching this show. I'm excited to continue watching this show. I just want to express here that it's a little unfortunate that the show has not lived up to what I've expected going into this, maybe that is colored by the hype. This is a continuing theme for this season that a lot of the stuff we're seeing is very founded, very entrenched in the anime community with the discourse around it. I've seen, like I said, so much Marin content that I was looking forward to the show like none other this season. And maybe that's why I'm a little disappointed. I think the last thing I want to mention here is I really hope Cloverworks does not fuck this show into the ground because that's something that they've been doing regularly recently. I'm a little wary of that. I'm also definitely wary of that given how much they have on their plate and how much is coming up for them and how much they fucked things last year with Promise Neverland and Wonder Egg. I think the one good thing we have going for this show and for Akabi is that there is not really an importance of plot in these shows. So there is nothing for them to destroy with the pacing or like Wonder Egg not have a clear vision of where this is going and run into production issues that don't allow the team to tell the narrative they want. So hopefully that helps, but still, who knows? I think (laughs) the last thing I will say is to just reiterate one more time that I think the reason that you are disappointed with the show is because of expectations and all the things you want out of it, whereas the reason I like it more than you might have thought is because I'm here for Marin, and... She is so fucking relatable with her just unabashed love of otaku culture. And I think that specifically is really refreshing to see in a female lead that is liked and is popular. The scene in episode one where she's going off about the plot of some light novel or etchy game that she likes. Or also when she's shitting on a guy that asked her out by making fun of her anime character keychain are absolutely fucking gold. Those are so funny and so enjoyable and just perfect little snippets of a waifu bait that just got me in the first few episodes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. She is such a relatable character for us who are interested in anime. And it's refreshing, like you said, to see a character who's so invested in something that is, again, socially a little fringe still. Yeah. 
That being said, I also wanted to mention that exact moment because now that you mention it, it brought up the scene for me when she was saying that title. Really, props, hats off to the voice actor for being able to do that. Yeah. I literally went back and listened <laughs> to that again because that is such a tongue twister and the voice yeah. actor did that so well. Yeah, it's really good. I think that's it for my dress up, darling. Let us know on Twitter or somewhere else if Mar and his waifu bait for you, please. Send us some fan art, please. <laughs> yeah, do that. So the next show that we're going to talk about is part one of Ravi talking about Isekai where the show is going to be interchangeable with like four other ones that he's going to talk about. And that is The Genius Prince's Guide to Raising a Nation Out of Debt. Tell me about it. I don't know how you actually organize this because this is nowhere close to the top of the anime charts. I literally went to myanimelace.com. I clicked on winter 2022 and then I organized it by the way that it is organized there. Oh, I see. Okay. I usually organize it by rating, not by the number of uh, people who fucking jerk off to the show <laughs> by putting it on their list of shows to watch. So this is the problem with this show. <laughs> that a lot of people are watching it. Yes. 100%. It has been such a long time since I watched a straight up bad show. Now, don't get me wrong. We have both seen shows with bad elements or bad endings. We talked about Wonder Egg Priority. Hell, I even watched X-Arm and Read Over Healer last year. And at least those were entertaining to participate in the discourse surrounding them. But Genius Prince is completely unremarkable in every way. It's a fantasy series about the prince of a nation who's tasked with leading the nation while the king is ill. The twist here is that while he's an extremely competent and admired leader... All he really wants to do is live a life of leisure. Honestly, I kept thinking the show was an isekai, and it's not. It's a fantasy. It's not an isekai. <laughs> Fuck, I said it was an isekai. <laughs> it's literally just a carbon copy, a worse carbon copy of how a realist hero rebuilt the kingdom, which says quite a bit about this show. The animation here is pretty trash. The characters are completely uninteresting. The dialogue made me want to punch my computer. <laughs> And the music is just not good. Even the opening and ending, they're just completely unremarkable. I think this is just really a tour de force in making a shitty anime. <laughs> Who is watching this? Why are you watching this? Please tell me. Someone reach out to me and tell me why you're watching the show. I love fantasy. And even I would rather watch the Lizardman arc of Overlord again <laughs> than put my eyes on this show. It is abhorrent. So I think the only redeeming part, and even this is a stretch, is that Takahashi Rie voices the main female lead, Ninim. So, you know her. Fuck yeah, I know her. <laughs> That's fucking Megumin and Hutao and Amelia. Exactly, <laughs> right? We have such a good voice actress doing such a shitty role. It infuriates me. And voice actors gotta get paid too, man. They gotta eat. They do. It, it's insane. I mean, you have top quality voice acting doing this low-budget bullshit. Otherwise, I don't think this show is worth your time. This is an absolute skip for me. All right. Well, given that, we're just going to skip to the next fucking show because I don't have anything to say about it. <laughs> All right. Next one on the list is Sabikui Bisco, which I have actually seen a little bit of buzz about. So I have not seen it myself, but I'm excited to hear what your take on it is. Yeah. When I saw the trailer for this show, I'm going to be real with you. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. And when I saw the first episode, that really didn't change. <laughs> Sabikui Bisco is a show about post-apocalyptic Japan where a disease called rust is spreading and consuming the lives of everything it touches. 
In this world, we're introduced to Milo Neko Yanagi, a young doctor who's trying to find a cure to the rust to save the inhabitants of his city and his sister who's contracted the disease. But one fateful night, he meets Akaboshi Bisco, a man who has the ability to create mushrooms from his arrows. Okay. <laughs> because people believe that mushroom spores are the cause of rust, they regard Bisco as a terrorist, but of course, he's actually the quote-unquote mushroom protector who's trying to find a legendary mushroom with a potential to clear the world of rust. And did I mention that there's this giant CG crab that they all ride on their quest to find this mushroom? So if that made an ounce of sense to you, congratulations. I hope you're dealing with your past trauma. <laughs> I hope that's going well for you. But in all seriousness, it sounds pretty interesting, I guess. I liked the show's first couple episodes. I think the animation is solid. The adventure for this magic mushroom looks like it'll be entertaining, if nothing else. I think... Though it is a bit soon for me to give out a positive or a definitive recommendation for the show because I just don't know how it'll turn out. It could easily be another repeat of Cabinary of the Iron Fortress, which I think you've seen, right? No. <laughs> okay, you haven't seen it. The most noteworthy fact of Cabinary is the animation was amazing and it had a Samono soundtrack, which was an absolute banger. But the thing that was the most noteworthy about it, I think the reason I remember it the most is that it set up a very interesting premise and a very interesting adventure, but then it failed to deliver on those. It stumbled in the second half, and it didn't really resolve itself. I'm worried that Sabukui Bisco is going to turn out the same way, but that being said, I'll keep watching for a few more episodes and see where it goes. I think it's maybe because of the mushrooms, but it reminds me of the mushroom guy from Dora Hidoro. Yes, I thought the exact same thing, actually. And just hearing the plot, it sounds as fucking insane as Dora Hidoro's plot. However... Yeah. At least why I really like Doro Hidoro is because it takes the insanity and goes off the deep end with it. Full use of CGI, wild character designs, insane powers, insane plot. And it just works because it's so fucking weird and enjoyable to watch this lizard man run around and eat gyoza all day. <laughs> but I don't know if this show is quite as willing to go fully into that weirdness or if it leans into it as much as Dora Hedora did do you feel like it might be a similar case or does it feel a little more reserved no I thought about the same comparison actually and it is a good comparison because Dora Hedora like you said is crazy and is hilarious for the purpose of being crazy and hilarious I think the show is actually trying to set up a plot and hopefully try and deliver on that plot so it doesn't have the same feel to me it does of course poke fun at itself I think with this giant CGI crab but in the same way that Doro Hey Doro continues that level of insanity throughout it, I think Sabakui Bisco is going to fail because it can't capitalize on that. Interesting. Well, if I can see, moving to an actual isekai question mark. Yeah, this one's real. <laughs> How a realist hero rebuilt the kingdom, which you literally just said was a better version of the genius prince's guide to raising a nation out of debt. God, I fucking hate these titles. Just tell us about the show. <laughs> Yeah, I talked about this one before on our 2021 anime review episode, and I don't think there's really much to say besides what I said there. It is just a better version of this other shitty isekai coming out this season, but it's not much more than that. It was a pleasant surprise among the other isekai that came out in the past few seasons. It's not amazing. It's not super noteworthy in any standard. But what it does well is it mixes up the narrative by having an intelligent protagonist rather than an overpowered one. 
I was looking forward to part two, and so far, it seems to have scratched every isekai itch I needed this season. That's it. That's all she fucking wrote. <laughs> I could go on. You want me to? <laughs> Not particularly. <laughs> I think there's another for you isekai we need to talk about anyway, so. Before we do that, let's talk about a show that I really want to talk about, and I texted you that I wanted to talk about it, that I had an interesting thought process behind thinking about the show. And that's Akebi's Sailor Uniform, also being done by Cloverworks. So I'll give the premise and I'll give sort of my general thoughts. And then I'm curious to hear your take on something that I've been thinking about. The premise behind the show is that Komichi Akebi is about to start middle school at her mother's alma mater, Robai Academy. It's always been her dream to go to the school and wear their school uniform, which looks like a sailor uniform. It's the one her mom wore when she went there. And she's especially excited for this and has been looking forward to it because she grew up in a really small town in the Japanese countryside. And this town is so small that she was literally the only girl, the only kid in her elementary school class. So there are like really kind of sad flashback scenes where she's like a little girl and the teacher is like, time to go to recess and like walks outside with her. And then it's just like her running around with like no one else. It's like really fucking sad. The twist or why it's called a Kebby Sailor uniform is that on her first day... At this middle school, she finds out that the school uniform has actually changed. Her and her mom had no idea. And so she's the only one wearing the uniform that her mom made for her by hand to replicate the one that she had worn when she went there. Oh, that's fucked up. I know, right? And so she has this really hard decision about, you know, do I stay true to myself and wear this uniform that I've always wanted that my mom made for me? Or do I buy the uniform that now everyone else has and just fit in? And she decides to wear the sailor uniform. And that's pretty much it. Her goal in middle school is basically to just actually make friends because she has zero friends other than her younger sister, given where she grew up. So at first glance, this is an insanely beautiful slice of life series. We talked about how the animation is questionable at times or standard at best in My Dress Up Darling. And the animation here is fucking beautiful. It reminds me of the strong artistic direction behind one direct priority or some of the other better looking shows that Cloverworks has done. You can tell that the team they put behind Akebi employs a really strong artistic personalities. And it definitely shows like even in the character designs, they might not be for everyone, but you can definitely tell they were made with a certain amount of care. Beyond that, the attention that this team paid to little details in the slice of life series that this is, are just insane. In episode one, there's this standout scene where Akebi's running and she skips over this river. It's all animated super beautifully in this countryside setting. And then she basically lands and like one strand of her hair like kind of falls in her mouth. And so she has to like pull it out of her mouth and then she ties up her hair. I have never seen hair animated like that. It looks insane. That's such a little small detail that you would think no show would really pay attention to, but the physics and detail put into this tiny little hair tying scene already blew my mind early on. You haven't watched Mushoku Tensei? No, not yet. I'm waiting. (laughs) I'm assuming that's because hair looks good. (laughs) Yeah, the hair looks good. I mean, a lot of other things look good, but hair also looks good. So the thing that I want to discuss with this show is based off of stuff that I was thinking while watching it, and... For reference, Mercedes Cluiz, who's been a guest on the podcast, wrote a really good article while reviewing the show for Anime News Network that highlights the one thing about the show 
that makes it slightly uneasy and hard to just recommend. You would think that this show would be an easy, if you like Slice of Life, here is this beautiful looking show that you should just go watch immediately about these girls in middle school. And that should be it. And there's a little caveat here. And that is that the direction is really mature for a slice of life series about girls in middle school. There are a lot of shots of feet. (laughs) Like too many. (laughs) Does that bother you? I don't know if it bothers me, but it's like, you know, Tarantino has that famous thing where he shows these strangely up close shots of feet. And then people are like, does Tarantino have a foot fetish? It is the same here, but everyone for sure has a foot fetish. We have talked about this, not on air. Would you not date someone because they had a foot fetish? (laughs) Would that actually be an automatic rule out? I think it depends on how that manifests. If they just enjoy feet more than the average person and they occasionally want to look at them, that's fine. But if they're like, I need to like suck on your feet every day in order to be satisfied, I'd be like, no, we're good. You're getting a foot massage. I don't want my feet to be sucked on. (laughs) I'm not saying I have a foot fetish, but it might be nice sometimes. (laughs) God fucking damn it. Anyway, everyone here from the mangaka to the director for sure has a foot fetish because (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ, like some of these scenes are so fucking detailed that it's just insane with the level of feed but even beyond that some of the scenes in the way mercedes talked about it which i think is true feel a little bit voyeuristic if that makes sense specifically one of the latest episodes has a girl who is friends with akebi coming sort of to terms with herself and her body and potentially her sexuality and the way that manifests is by her realizing that she likes photography and that she wants to join the photography club and so she starts taking photos of herself in her room and some of these are slightly risque photos. And in theory, that works as just this girl exploring her sexuality. I'm sure it's an experience a lot of people have growing up. But something about the camera work is kind of hard to describe, and it feels more mature than what you would expect in the series handling that subject matter. You really have to see it to understand what I mean, but something about it feels slightly off. All of that together is to say that It's still a show that I really enjoy, but that you definitely have to put that caveat out there before people go watch it. And the thing that I wanted to discuss with you that I was thinking about is, does it matter to you that a woman is directing this? So I went and looked up the staff working on it because I wanted to get a better sense and saw that a woman is doing the directing and i think on one hand that makes me feel better because then you don't have what is kind of your immediate worry with this direction is that there's some older man basically like peeking into young women's lives in this way and engaging in a lot of self-satisfaction that's really deeply uncomfortable and creepy on the other hand of course women too can contribute to over sexualization of young female bodies so it's not like it completely absolves it but that is something that i sort of struggled to place how i feel about the show knowing that does that make sense do you have any thoughts on that yeah i think that makes complete sense to me and when i watch a show 
The first time I watch it, without any other context in a vacuum, let's say the baseline experience of watching it. But the more and more I learn about it in the same way that you went to actually look up who the director was, it's hard not to let that color and bias the way that you think about the show looking back on it. And so knowing that a female director was involved in this work definitely changes the way that I would watch the show. And now that I'm going to go in and watch the show, whether that's good or bad, I don't have a good answer to that. It would definitely have been a little weird for me to think of, you know, an older male director setting up these shots of these young girls. Unfortunately, that's something I wouldn't be surprised by. It's quite common in anime as it already exists with fan service and especially the over-sexualization of young females. That is something I don't agree with. That's something I still struggle to actually compartmentalize when I watch anime. I think when I go and watch this show, I'll notice and I'll pick up on the same things that you noticed here. And I think that... Oh, you'll fucking notice. <laughs> There's no way not to notice. I think it will change the way that I actually watch it and it will be distasteful, which is somewhat unfortunate. But I guess the counter question I have for you is, do you think it was done well as a coming-of-age story? Because those are things that people explore. People do explore their bodies. If someone were omniscient and watching me do that growing up, I mean, do you think that it would be portrayed in the way here? Was that done well? I think you could definitely make the case that sometimes it was, specifically when I was talking about that character exploring their sexuality potentially through these photos i think you could make the case that that is an accurate representation and i definitely would default to female opinions on that and not mine but to me it felt slightly uneasy maybe based off all the other camera work in the show but that specific scene in a vacuum i think you could watch and have that interpretation of it the foot thing is clearly just a fetish like there is no need for there to be that many shots of feet it's uncanny sometimes <laughs> like how many they include and i think sort of what i landed on with the show is that i'm gonna keep watching it i am enjoying it for the really nice slice of life moments the animation all the other things that i really like i just think you have to add that disclaimer that there's a sprinkling of degeneracy here and maybe that's sort of what you come away from the show with is that it is fan service degenerate slice of life which doesn't exist that much so maybe that's novel in a way but that's sort of how i am thinking about the show unless of course it develops in a way that is unexpected or goes over the line or something like that i think the only way we'd get a good answer to this is if the director actually came out and said their motivations with designing the show this way and that motivation would definitely change the way I watch this show. Because even if a female director came out and said, yeah, my motivation here was to add fan service to the show for viewer pleasure, that would definitely change the way that I think about it, especially given the age of this girl. But if the director instead came out and was like, hey, I had this experience growing up and this is the way that I explored my sexuality and that's the way that I wanted to show it in this show, that's a completely different way it's done. Yeah. Whether that actually happens, I don't think we'll ever get that insight. But Probably not. It's something that we can uh, we can think about. It'd also be interesting to maybe look up if the mangaka has actually spoken about this series at all. You know, what fans of the manga actually know about what the mangaka had in mind when creating it, why people like it, how they've dealt with this issue. It'd be interesting to see what other people think about in the community that are fans of this show. Yeah, we don't shame any kinks on Baka Bantam. No, if you like feet, you like feet. But do I have to watch you liking feet? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you do for this podcast. I guess I do. All right, moving on to our next show, which is Sasaki to Miyano, which I think is just boys being boys, right? Yeah, it's pretty hot. <laughs> 
honestly, this is the first work of BL that I've ever consumed. For those listeners that don't know what that is, that's Boys Love. Honestly, I am really enjoying it. Uh, There's not much in the way of plot that I can tell you about here. This is really a slice of life romance about Miano, who's a cute, shy, younger high school student who secretly loves BL manga and his senpai Sasaki, a supposed delinquent who's actually quite warm and friendly. So after Sasaki saves Miano's classmate from a group of bullies and after Miano starts sharing his manga with Sasaki, they grow closer together and they start to develop a relationship. So like I said, this is the first BL work that I have ever read, seen, whatever. At its heart, the show just seems like a pretty good romance anime. One thing I really liked about it is how they just kept jumping in time to actually contextualize the interactions between the two leads and to further develop their relationship. I like narrative techniques like that, and I think it's used pretty well here. The character designs are also super solid. The animation is quite good. Although the colors do look quite saturated at times, and the director seems to be a huge fan of having these like overlaid sparkles and shapes every time Sasaki looks at Miyano and realizes that he thinks he's cute. That got a bit annoying because I'm like, dude, do you need to change your underwear? Like, what is going on? Can you just stop fucking having these out-of-body experiences every time you look at this guy? But people have been saying that this is the BL version of Horimiya, and I wouldn't go that far just yet. I think that fans, though, of romance should give this show a try, whether they're into BL or not. It definitely was a pleasant surprise, and I will continue to watch it. I think it was really, really fun and well done. I actually think out of all the shows you've talked about so far that I haven't seen, this is probably the one I'm most likely to actually go and see. I think similarly to you, I have not consumed a lot of BL shows or manga or other content, but one of my favorite anime in terms of shows that I think are criminally underrated is Banana Fish. Yuri on Ice. It's not Yuri on Ice. Yuri on Ice is... Criminally overrated? I don't know if overrated, but it's (laughs) definitely rated. (laughs) Banana Fish is fucking underrated, and that's mostly for the narrative that it employs, which spans countries in this battle between people in these gangs. It's just such a good plot and such a good story that's really really well done it's emotional has good characters well-developed side characters but there is a bl element between the two main leads that is not fully explored but it definitely just hints at it and undertones and i really enjoyed that aspect of the show i think their relationship added a lot to banana fish as a whole and especially to how that show ends so maybe i should Give BL more of a try, and maybe I'll dive into this one because I'm not watching that much this season. Yeah, I think you definitely should. I guess a question I have here, and this is maybe my own ignorance, but also a little perpetuated by some of the themes we see in the show. Sasaki has to generally hide the manga that he gets from Miyano. And Miyano seems to be embarrassed by the work that he's giving Sasaki. So... I guess the larger question here is, when do you think we're going to get to the point at which BL stops being a niche even within anime? The way that we're talking about it right now is definitely biased and perhaps a little ignorant because we haven't seen a lot of it and we seem to still think that it's maybe more fringe subgenre when it's clearly not. I wonder how long that bias is still going to be perpetuated for. I don't know. I mean, I think we obviously have some responsibility to 
as people who talk about anime, just learn more about the different subcultures within the fandom, even if they're not ones that we actively participate in necessarily. I mean, there are lots of examples of those. Like, we don't know almost anything about idol anime, and we could, and it would just take us doing a little bit more research on a lot of these different subgenres. So I don't know how long it's going to go for. That thing of being ashamed of BL manga specifically is such a trope in different shows. Like, I can think of that happening in many many shows so i don't know but hopefully that slowly starts to change i mean i think generally people are becoming more accepting of it and hopefully it just continues and people just get more exposed to it all right moving on to three of three of your isekai fantasy garbage consumption for this season with life with an ordinary guy who reincarnated into a total fantasy knockout sounds like a title i just came up with but it's not you don't like this show I don't know anything about this show, but it sounds like exactly what's in the title. I mentioned that How a Realist Hero Rebuilt the Kingdom, Scratch an Itch. Fuck, like actually saying these now, I realize, <laughs> hmm, they all sound the same. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned that that show had scratched an itch for me this season. Yeah. And speaking of scratching itches, have you ever wondered no. what you would do, No. Yanni? No. If we were both transported to a fantasy world and you turned around to realize that I had transformed into the cutest lolly you could possibly imagine. Oh, and Kirito was there too, by the way. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? I have not. I have to be honest, I have not. That's unfortunate because I have. <laughs> so, <laughs> welcome to life with an ordinary guy who reincarnated into a total fantasy knockout. God, fuck me. What do I even have to say about this show? It's definitively the shitty isekai of the season. I really think only those hardcore fans of the genre and its tropes will get some enjoyment out of this show. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I really can't summarize this better, I think, than the Mal synopsis already has. So let me do something I rarely do and just read this verbatim. One primer. Every sentence I say is either going to end with multiple exclamation points or an interrobang, okay? A dull old man and his handsome best friend were summoned to another world by a naked goddess. <laughs> However, because of the goddess's mischief, he has turned into a peerless, beautiful girl. To get back his body, he has to go on a journey with his best friend to defeat the demon king. An old man that became a beautiful girl and a handsome old man. Let the madness-filled rom-com journey in another world begin. That was great. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, no, no worries. Anytime. <laughs> I think the only thing going for the show that may help it to stand out from the rest is its theme of gender swapping and how the characters deal with that. I spent a good amount of time in the first two episodes trying to decide whether there was an LGBTQ message buried here, specifically about identifying as gay or trans, because there is an overt attraction between the two characters, but it's always stalled when they realize that one of them is a male in a female's body. And, you know, still sitting here talking to you, I don't think I reached a conclusion on that thought. On one hand, it may just not be that deep, and the show may just be a generic isekai with a twist. But on the other hand, there may be a statement here that I think is premature to make a judgment on from the first two episodes. What I would really, really hate to happen is if the show settled on some transphobic line of thought. Knowing Japan, I have to say, I'm not holding my breath for total fantasy knockout. 
Watch it if you think the isekai twist is interesting, but otherwise, I think this is a skip. I am getting flashbacks to the Konosuba movie, which is fucking hilarious, but there's one joke and scene in there, which I've mentioned before on the podcast, is super anti-trans or just like kind of offensive. Mm-hmm. And that makes me think that, you know, the message you're looking for, it's probably not buried in here, I gotta say. <laughs> it's hard to watch the show in the society that we live in and not just be like, are they trying to say something or are they just trying to be funny? Because if they're trying to say something, it's not going well. <laughs> you know, you just skip past Kirito being in here. I don't know if you looked at the show. Watch the opening. Kirito is like on full display. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Someone could say we get a whiff of Kirito. <laughs> By Bakabanter. All right. Last show for the season that we got around to watching is Salaryman's Club Badminton anime, right? Yeah, badminton anime. I'm surprised that you actually knew that going into this. I know everything. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. No, I don't. I don't. I only know what I know. Shout out to people that got that joke. It's a monogatory reference. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so of predictable. <laughs> So, from the title here, this could have been anything. From an action-packed shonen all the way to a hentai, <laughs> you could not have known. But no. So, while 2021 gave us anime about skateboarding and water polo, Salaryman's Club is the newest show about badminton. And just like what I said about Remain, I'm into it. I don't think this show will blow anyone away. It has pretty solid production value. If you like sports anime, just give it a shot. Salaryman's Club falls into the classical narrative about a prodigy with past trauma who gets kicked off the best team in the league and then gets picked up by the most dog shit team where they realize the importance of teamwork again and their teammates draw them out of their shell. That's it. That's the show. Even though it's a set narrative, that didn't make it any less fun to watch because... I love that breakdown and build-up theme, especially in sports anime, because you get more attached to the characters along the way and you want to root for them. You want to see the underdog win and to beat the best team. Besides that, the characters seem fun, the matches are intense, and the animation is decent, so I'll definitely keep watching this. But that said, what is a company sports club? Like, is this a thing that I just don't know about? Some companies for sure have sports teams that they play on together i think that they just enter leagues and people can do it if they want i don't know like how competitive it really is but that is definitely a thing i guess what stood out to me from your description there that is actually slightly a deviation from the typical sports anime tropes is that it's not set in high school these are like adults just playing sports like adults do which is i guess refreshing in some way i always like seeing anime that's not set in high school because it so rarely happens, right? Yeah, agreed. I mean, I feel like I have to say this, but obviously I don't know everything about Japanese culture, but I don't know if Zaibatsu, like the giant Japanese companies, have these sports teams. Like, is this a cultural thing that I'm just missing? Because, damn, that sounds sick. Like, I want to be in a badminton club when I fucking join this company. Well, when you go work in Japan, join the badminton team and fulfill all of your weeb dreams. I'll join that uh, team where they... Try and kick each other off the water ramps with their butts. You mean Kaijo? Yeah, they, yeah, that one. <laughs> Actually, I think in that show, they're also not in high school. It's just like adult women trying to make it in the butt push world or whatever. 
We got to watch this together. I really got to watch that. All right. Those are all the series that we had time to check out for winter 2022. At the end, we like to just quickly give a mention to the other shows that we didn't get a chance to watch, but we know the community is paying attention to or talking about at least a little bit. So for that, we have the case study of Vanitas part two being done by Studio Bones. I think you watched the first part of that, right? I watched the first few episodes Mm. of that, to be clear. So I don't know how it ended. I think that's something that I'll continue to watch. Last few seasons had these shows that some ended up being really great and some ended up just falling way short. The case study Vanitas, I think, ended up being pretty well liked in the community, whereas Platinum End, which is the other show that for some reason I associate with this show because they came out around the same time. They seem to have the same vibe, this like darker vibe. Platinum End, I think everyone really just took a dump on. Sounds about right. Season three of Teasing Master Takagi-san is also airing me done by Shin A Animation. Some people really, really like that franchise. I have not had time to get into it yet, but some people are enjoying it. And then I wanted to shout out two more shows that Mercedes said she is enjoying the most this season, one of which is Slow Loop, being done by Connect, which is a slice of life uh, series about fishing, I think, which sounds very on brand for Mercedes to like another comfy show. And Tribe Nine... I have also heard that some people Don't are talk about that like you don't fucking like that. I do like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think those are the main shows that people have been talking about for this season. Is there anything else you want to say as we wrap up the episode? No. I think that this season I have followed mostly on the interwebs, on Twitter, basically, just seeing what voice actors are talking about and seeing what the fan art is. And that's what's really hyped me up for certain shows. Tribe Nine, for example, I don't know anything about, but I at least know that some of my favorite voice actors and, and directors are working on this show. And that's why I was like, oh, man, let me go check that out. In the English community, by the way, right? In the English community, exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't follow many Sayus. But yeah, they're... Aren't that many standouts this season beyond, it's weird to say big three, but the big three, right? Attack on Titan, Demon Slayer, and My Dress Up Darling. So we'll see what the season holds for the rest of the way. I think it will be true, though, that the majority that we discuss at the end of this year will come from later seasons. Yep, I agree. It's kind of a weak season besides the three that you mentioned. Of course, Osama Rankings continuation is on point, but other than that, it's a lot of so-so shows and we slogged through it for all of you guys so that you don't have to (laughs) or if you're enjoying any of those shows that we talked about them anyways go watch the music (laughs) go watch some feet i already do that (laughs) (laughs) ravi isekai trash with a foot fetish you heard it here first (laughs) all right that's been it from us for this episode Next episode, we are hopefully going to have a guest on the podcast, but if we don't, then we'll come up with a topic for you guys. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I hope we will. We will. We will. Don't worry. Don't worry. We will. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. If you use Apple Podcasts and you could leave us a rating and a review, that would be super appreciated. Please check out the podcast on our website, bacchabanter.com. We actually just updated the website and it now has a page for all of the guests that we've had on the show so you can see where they come from, get a link to their Twitter or their personal website, or click to get a link specifically to the 
episode that they were on on the podcast. So we'll just keep adding guests there so we can highlight those episodes a little more because honestly for us, those are some of the most fun episodes to do. So now that's all in one place for you guys to just go check out. I hear that people can now see what we look like. And people can see what we look like because we're also on there. So if you want to do that, then go ahead. You think people will think you're hot, Yanni? Uh, only you think I'm hot. <laughs> oh, that's not true. <laughs> Damn. Can confirm. <laughs> also follow the pod on Twitter at Pod. You've been having a little bit more interaction lately with some of the stuff we've put out, and that's been super enjoyable. So if you feel so inclined, give us a follow there as well. And I think that's it. We've been the Bacabenter lads, and we'll catch you all in the next one. Bye.